So my job here today is to tell you about what's going on out there in the world. Tell some interesting stories, right? Maybe do some grocery shopping when I go home, that kind of stuff. Uh, It feels very, very small compared to the job that we are about to talk about. Designing housing for outer space. Yes, there is a need for this. And yes, there are people who study this and work on it. Dr. Adam Frank is professor of astrophysics at the University of Rochester and the author of Light of the Stars, Alien Worlds and the Fate of the Earth and joins us now. Good morning, Dr. Frank. Good morning. Why do we need housing in outer space? (laughs) Well, we don't need it tomorrow, luckily. Um, But when you look at the long term, uh, you know, the future of humanity, the next 100 years or 200 years or so, which, you know, may seem like a long time to people, but it's a blink of the eye for history. um, There's a good chance that we'll have a lot of people out in space working. That's what's happening. You know, there's all this move with all these commercial space ventures. And the question is, where can people live? Space is a pretty hostile environment. If there really would, if we really had millions or hundreds of millions of people living and working in space, where would they live? <laughs> okay, where would they live then? How do we figure this out? <laughs> well, you know, people often talk about Mars as a place uh, where for, for people to live, that you might be able to settle Mars. And in general, you know, what we're looking at, if, if humanity makes it past climate change and all the challenges we have, you know, there's a whole solar system out there waiting for us. Um, and, uh, you know, there's planets and moons that, that we could try and settle. Uh, and, and Mars is, you know, a, a planet that is about half the size of Earth. It's, it's, in many ways, it's like Earth, except it's, you know, there's a very thin atmosphere. There's really not much water. You'd have to do a lot of work in order to make Mars habitable. You'd have to build your cities probably underground or into cliffs. Um, you have to protect from radiation, uh, there, you know, because they don't have a magnetic field. So there'd be a lot of work involved in trying to make Mars habitable. The thing that we studied in our paper was looking at turning asteroids into rotating space cities. Oh, okay. How, that sounds interesting. Why? Why asteroids? <laughs> well, see, here's the problem. Like, you know, so like I said, so Elon Musk keeps talking about the fact that, like, oh, you know, he's going to pay for us going to Mars and building cities on Mars. So Mars gets all this attention. But what we said is, look, one of the problems with Mars is, you know, it's down what we call a gravity well, right? Every planet has a lot of gravity and you need a big old rocket to blast yourself off or to land safely. And what we were saying is, you know, maybe rather than trying to, you know, put all our eggs into uh, uh, building habitats on planets, what you could do is you could take an asteroid, which is already has a huge amount of natural resources, iron, et cetera, that you'd need, and um, break it up and, and, and reformulate it into a rotating, because you need gravity, rotating uh, system where you could have, you know, hundreds of millions or tens of millions of people living on the inside of the rotating asteroid. Okay, but what, how would you do that? Like, how would you capture the asteroid and then build on it? Like, you'd have to land on the asteroid and do all this? Uh, yeah, you'd have to, you know, you'd have to um, uh, modify or change the properties of the asteroid, which may seem like pretty amazing, right? Because asteroids yeah. are basically flying mountains. Yes. Right? So. So, but the thing is, is that, you know, we're already thinking about mining asteroids. These are, I don't know how many billions of dollars already, you know, startup companies thinking about mining asteroids. So again, in a hundred years or so, this may not be such a, you know, remarkable thing that we're trying to do. So what we showed in our paper was what you could do is you could land on an asteroid, you know, drive rockets into it to spin it up 
And it turns out that the smaller asteroids, this is an amazing thing about the smaller asteroids, less than 50 kilometers across, they're actually piles of rubble. They're not actually rock. They're not, you know, they're, they're basically uh, sand and pebbles and boulders held loosely together by their own gravity. So if you could just spin them up a little bit, they'd start to fly apart. Just the way, like, when you're on a merry-go-round, you can feel yourself kind of being pushed outward. Uh, and then what we would do is, now this sounds crazy, we would cover the asteroid in a bag of uh, very high-strength material, like what we call carbon nanofiber. And so as the asteroid was spun up and it started to come apart, started to fling itself apart, this bag would stretch like, you know, a giant um, bag of rubber bands. And eventually it would reach its maximum extent and then it would snap tight and all of that material, all of the sand and boulders would get caught in the bag and it would get compacted like concrete. And so you end up with this beautiful cylindrical shell that was maybe, you know, 10 miles across. And then it would have enough interior space on the inside as Manhattan does. And, you know, there's a lot of people living in Manhattan. Okay, one, this sounds like the movie Armageddon. Isn't that yes, what they did? It does. They took out the nuclear bomb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in Deep Impact and Armageddon, they like, put a, you know, right into, exploded into the middle of an asteroid, didn't they? Right, right. But we're doing this in a controlled fashion. You know, slow, you'd slowly spin it up, and then the material would get flung off, and then, you know, the bag would be wrapped around it, and then it would be caught. I know, it sounds, this is what we would call astro engineering, and it seems crazy, but really, in another hundred years or so, this may not be, this is maybe something that, that may not be so difficult I be- to do. I, I believe you. I believe you. So, Matt, look, we're thinking about things that even a hundred years ago, can you imagine the things that we have today if you told them that a hundred years exactly. ago? So, right. I guess my question then is, how do you even test something like this? Yeah, well, right now what we had to do was we did computer simulations of it. There's like right right now, you know, the technology just simply isn't there. But you can run fairly sophisticated computer simulations of, you know, wrapping, of having this, this um, uh, you know, webbing around the asteroid and then spinning it up. And in the simulations, we could watch as the material, the little rocks got flung outward uh, until the bag um, reached its maximum extent. So we actually could run as a first cut at this physically based simulations to see whether it worked and it worked quite well. Okay. So then how do you take that simulation to the next step then? Yeah, well, that may take a little bit of time, right? Cause I, as we said in the paper, this is speculation. Um, but so, you know, we would, that would we'd require quite a bit of space infrastructure to begin to test this kind of thing. But what we were doing was, is we were laying out now, you know, maybe a century before this is going to be possible ways in which we can envision having a real human presence in space. Because that's really the thing. We are, as you said, you know, uh, 200 years ago, nobody had traveled faster than you know, 20 miles an hour unless they were falling to their death, right? right? But now we can really sort of look to the future and see that if we can make it through climate change, if we can make it through all of the difficult uh, difficulties we're facing, the solar system is the next logical step for us. And so you can, it's good to start asking these questions now. What would it look like? How would we imagine ourselves to have a real presence in space so that maybe, you know, in a century or two, there are hundreds of millions of people living in space with whole vibrant communities experimenting with all kinds of new forms of democracy out there. So, Dr. Frank, do you think this is the time then to think about that kind of stuff, right? Like, as you say, come up with as many different ideas as possible so that when technology catches up with us, we have these options. 
Yeah, I think it's both. This is both important for you know thinking about the technologies that are possible, but it's also important for people this 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 exercise of imagining a positive human future where we do amazing things. You know, we take we manage to take care of the earth and keep the earth you know sustainable and habitable, but also expand outward, which is just what human beings have always done to build an extraordinary human future. I think it's it's just as important to do that as it is to get the technical details right. It is so fascinating. So is this the work that you're doing mainly right now? What else are you working on? Oh, well, this is one of the many things. I do a lot of work on thinking about um, life on other planets, both within the solar system and outside. People may know we just launched the JWST, the, the, that big space telescope. And that space telescope is the first that's really going to start giving us the capacities to maybe find biospheres on other planets, the telescopes that are going to come right after that are going to be even more powerful. So I do a lot of thinking about life in the universe, both both microbial or forest, you know, non-intelligent. But I also do, I have a grant from NASA to study the possibilities of intelligent life on other worlds. Because we, that's what people should understand. We finally have the telescopic capacities, the technological capacities to really answer the question of life in the universe. In the next 20, 30, 40 years, we're going to have data that's going to be relevant to that question, which is people have been asking that question for since yeah. the Greeks. And it's, it's just been people yelling at each other. Finally, now <laughs> we're going to have the data that is going to tell us something. Amazing. Dr. Frank, thank you so much for your time this morning. Sure. It was my pleasure. I love your city, by the way. Uh, well, I love your job. It's fascinating. Thank you for your time today. <laughs> That's Dr. Adam Frank, professor of astrophysics at the University of Rochester. Uh, and yeah, I feel like, all right, I, my job is great, but his job is amazing. His job could potentially, you know, help to save humanity, which is kind of a big deal, right? Uh, we love to talk about that kind of stuff.